0: We'll pray and uh, then we'll open up the word of God this morning. So father, we just thank you and praise you for another opportunity to gather around the word of God today. Uh, we ask your blessings on us, your presence, Holy spirit of God, you are the teacher. I pray that you'll open our understanding to the truth of your word. I pray that you will enable us to accurately handle the word of God and to, uh, open our hearts to receive it and help us to apply your word today lord we as we continue in our study of the harmony of the gospels we pray that you'll just uh, help us to come to know uh, your grace and your love better the lord jesus christ and come to understand and embrace uh, the enormity of his sacrificial work for the redemption of our soul and lord help us to realize that because of jesus christ his payment on the cross, His resurrection, that we have can, in faith in Him, we can be justified before You, and that we can stand before You as children of God today. We thank You for that privilege. We thank You for the opportunity today to learn more. I pray You give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. We. Uh, good morning, Miss Heather. Good to see you this morning. All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 27 this morning. Matthew chapter 27. And I know that everybody has been anticipating Jesus' resurrection, but that's not going to happen today. uh, There's something that we need to look at prior to that. We're going to look at uh, in our study the harmony of the gospels trying to look at things in in the sequence in which i think that they take place uh, we're going to look today at the opposition to jesus's resurrection uh, ever since christ walk on earth he has been opposed the gospel's been opposed and ever since the resurrection and even before the resurrection it has been there's been opposition to that truth and that that event that's take place uh, we're going to look at some biblical themes here today uh, possibly a short lesson but uh, we'll see how that goes i've made the mistake of saying that before and it ended up being the longest lesson i've taught so uh, we'll see how that goes this morning but i uh, want to look at the opposition to the resurrection matthew chapter 27 We're going to begin reading in verse 62, and then we're going to read a passage in chapter 28 of Matthew. And actually, uh, Matthew's gospel is the only one of the four gospels that gives us this account of these events that take place. But I think they are significant for us to look at, and hopefully we can learn something today from that. So uh, Matthew 27, verse 62 the scriptures tell us, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that, that deceiver said, after, I, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead so that the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard, setting the guard. Now let's go ahead and read chapter 28, verse 11 through 15 this morning, because we're going to tie this in together. Verse 11, chapter 28. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole stole him away while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So we find these two passages of Scripture gives us some insight concerning some events prior to the resurrection and after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We're going to bring those in, and then Lord willing, next week we'll examine the resurrection itself. So first of all, we need to understand that all four gospel writers attested to Jesus's death. And I want us to review those so we can have that cemented within our mind. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, the Bible gives us here, Matthew writes, uh, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then you turn to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 15 and verse 37 mark's account of this he says and jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last then in luke chapter 23 in verse 46 now i know we're going fast but we've kind of reviewed this already i just want to uh, refresh our memory of this but luke chapter 23 and verse 46 luke writes and when jesus had cried out with a loud voice he said father into your hands i commit my spirit Having said this, he breathed his last. Then in John chapter 19 and verse 30, John writes, So when Jesus had received sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So we find all four writers attest to the death of the Lord Jesus. They all uh, give uh Reference to that, they knew that he had breathed his last. They knew that he died. It's important that we again review this because without the death, we have no resurrection. So in both aspects of this are vitally important to the gospel message. Now we find not only did the gospel writers attest to Jesus's death, but the Roman soldiers also and the centurion and Pilate the, governor, the Roman governor attested that Jesus died. And I want us to look at Mark chapter 15. Again, reviewing this, Mark chapter 15 and verse 39. The Bible says there that when the centurion who stood opposite him, talking about Christ on the cross, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, signifying he died, he said truly this man was the son of God. Then down in verse 44 that same chapter in Mark, Pilate marvelled that he had, was already dead. The, the Joseph of Arimathea had come uh to Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Joseph Joseph had come to Pilate requesting the body of Jesus. Verse 44 of Mark 6:15 says Pilate marvelled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, asking if he had been dead for some time. And when he had found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. So Pilate would not have released the body of Jesus to Joseph had he not been assured of the fact that Jesus was dead. So the Roman soldiers, the executioner squad, uh, attested to this uh, according to John 19 and verse 33. The execution squad came to Jesus because they had been ordered, commanded to break the legs of those crucified victims in order to uh, end their life quickly for to appease the Jewish leader's request. And uh, John 19 and verse 30 uh, tells us uh, that, uh, pardon me, John 19 verse 33, says that when they came to jesus and saw that he was already dead they did not break his legs but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out so these trained roman soldiers uh, who were very acquainted with what death looked like they recognized that jesus had died to the point that they refused to break his legs but to ensure that he was dead they they pierced his side with a spear deeply enough that blood and water came out of his side, so they knew without a doubt that he had already died. So we have the four gospel writers attested to Jesus' death. Yes, sir. Billy? I don't remember but it's
1: significant that blood and water came out.
0: Yes, sir. We talked about that last week. We
1: did. You weren't here? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Talk about the water though. Talk about both. Yeah.
1: The,
0: I mean, you want me to get my notes and review that?
1: Just say, why is water?
0: Why did water, water come mean, out? Because if you just get pierced and you ain't dead, you don't have water come out. Say again now. <laughs> if you if you get found. Right. It, it went into the covering around the heart right. and so the lungs. And, right. Like right and that caused blood and the water both to come out right robert yes sir wrong indicative of congestive heart failure Did y'all hear that conduct uh like congestive heart right. failure yeah. yeah right okay all right so we 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 have the witnesses of the four gospel writers of jesus's death we have the witnesses uh uh, the Roman soldiers, the centurion and Pilate, the governor of Jesus—that Jesus, Jesus died—and then next we have the witness of Joseph and Nicodemus that Jesus died. Because we we look at uh, <clears throat> excuse me all four gospels, Matthew 27 and verse 57, we find that the scriptures tell us uh, that. When the evening had come, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and laid it in his his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now, we, we find the same... Uh, basic uh, testimony in Mark uh, 15, in verses 42 through 46, uh, we, we looked at that. Pilate had given him permission uh, to take the body of Jesus. In verse 46, Mark 15, uh, Joseph bought fine linen, took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And then again in John 19, we find that it includes Nicodemus's assistance to Joseph. Uh, John 19, verse 38 and following, uh, Joseph, being a disciple of Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, uh, "Take the body." And so he did. He took the body of Jesus. In verse 39, Nicodemus. Uh, came along with a a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about almost 100 pounds of that. And the two of them took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, wrapped him like a cocoon, a mummy, if if you would, like what we visualize the the Egyptian mummies look like. Uh, That's what the body of Jesus basically looked like as well after they were through preparing the body of Jesus. And uh, they placed... The body of Jesus uh, in the garden tomb and a new tomb which in which no man had been laid. So we have Joseph and Nicodemus's testimony that Jesus died. They were up close and personal with Jesus. If there had been any evidence of life whatsoever in the body of Jesus, they would not have proceeded with preparing the body for death because he, they wrapped the entire body uh, for that uh and including the headpiece the face piece and so they would not have done that had they known jesus was still alive uh, i don't believe anyway uh, then we have not only their testimony but then we have the testimony of the chief priests and the pharisees that jesus died look with me back to matthew 27 the, our text verses this morning verse 62 Matthew 27 and verse 62. Matthew 27 and verse 62 tells us on the next day which followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. And notice the wording in verse 63 saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive so they recognized he was not alive anymore they attested to the death of jesus the chief priests and the pharisees the leaders that came and presented him to Pilate for crucifixion for death they were satisfied that he died they they acknowledged that so we have those witnesses of the death of jesus so it's again significant that we realize this because without the death there is no resurrection if there is no resurrection there is no salvation or redemption for us if he did not die and rise again because that is the gospel how that christ died according to the scriptures that he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures the third day for our salvation that's the gospel So if this did not take place, then we have no gospel. So we want to uh, uh, confirm our thoughts and our hearts that this actually happened. So I want to uh, address three areas about this opposition to Jesus' resurrection. First of all, I want us to look at the memory of the unbelievers back in verse 63. Sir, we remember. These were the chief priests and the Pharisees. The opponents of Jesus they they resisted uh, his miracles they resisted his teaching they resisted uh, the the ministry and life of the Lord Jesus Christ all through his ministry they sought ways to trip him up to test him to accuse him of blasphemy they sought ways to try to end his his life uh, during his ministry these were the opponents of Jesus himself, his enemies, ones that actually uh, seduced uh, Judas into betraying him and arrested him in Gethsemane and took him to Pilate to be crucified on Golgotha. So they were, not, they were not friends of Jesus. These were enemies. So if, if they were remembering something that Jesus said, something that Jesus taught, It was for an ulterior motive, something that was not uh, confirming of Jesus, but one that was opposing Jesus. What did they remember? They remembered while he was still alive how that he said, the deceiver, he even called Jesus a deceiver, how that he said, after three days I will rise. Wow. Now, this is interesting to me in that, It was the enemies of Jesus, the unbelievers of Jesus that remembered that Jesus said, in three days after I die, I'll rise again. Not his disciples. His disciples, they were all locked up in an upper room, fearing for their life, thinking it was all said and done all over. They thought that all this was behind them now. There was no future uh, in their mind, basically. Jesus, their master, their rabbi, had died. They knew that he had been buried, uh, and they thought, well, that's the end. That's the end of the ministry. I'm sure that thoughts like this entered their mind. Peter, James, and John, and the fishermen, and Matthew, the tax collector, and they had given up their livelihood, their jobs, their occupation, their careers to follow Jesus, believing that he was the Messiah, believing that he was the king to come, and set up the the rule of David and now he's dead he's in the grave but the unbelievers remembered what he taught so what was it that he taught about rising again after the third day look with me in Matthew 12 Matthew 12 in verse 39 we find that Jesus gave the prediction his prediction of his resurrection and gave it as a sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Matthew chapter 12, in verse uh, 39 and 40, uh, the scriptures tell it, let me back up, uh, verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, teacher, we, we want to see a sign from you, which, first of all, is ironic that they asked that at this time, because he had just uh, uh, Performed uh, several miracles uh, before this. Now they want to see another sign. So they weren't wanting a sign in order for them to believe. They were just testing They were just trying him. They were tempting him uh, to do something that would uh, cause them an opportunity to accuse him falsely. But in verse 39, Jesus answered and said to them, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign." and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So that sign, that prediction, that uh, what Jesus told him, tells me several things. Number one, Jesus affirmed the reality of Jonah being in the belly of a fish. It's not a fable, it's not a myth, it's true. Jesus knew that. He's the one who created the fish. So we find that, uh, number one, that that's a reality. Number two, it was a significant, symbolic act and event that signified was a type of the resurrection of Jesus. So if you've read the, the book of Jonah, just four chapters, short chapters, good chapters, something, a lot of truth in there that we need to learn to apply. But we find that Jonah uh, was in the belly of the whale. Uh, we say the belly of the whale. The Bible says a great fish. Uh, it depends on which version you use. Uh, King James, I think, in Jonah says whale. Uh, but we find that regardless, uh, he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. You say, well, there's no no fish that can swallow a man whole and, and the man still be alive for three days and three nights. Uh, pardon me, you don't know my God. He created all of them to begin with. He can create one specific fish designed to be the first submarine ride for anybody. And he did. Jonah was the first Uh, submarine pilot I guess if you could call it he was down under for sure but we find that uh, and after three days and three nights the the Bible says in Jonah that the the fish uh, spit him up on the shore and Jonah came back and began to do the will of God that he was supposed to call was called to do to begin with but that was a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Jesus said here's your sign, like the prophet Jonah. And he already, he kind of with that, uh, confirmed that they also believed the story of the uh, Jonah and the whale or the fish. Uh, So they, he was saying, okay, this is significant. You need to see this typology, uh, this foreshadow of my resurrection and understand that that's the sign I'm giving you. So after three days, I might be in the grave or in the tomb. I'm going to come forth after three days and three nights. That was the sign. And that's what they remembered. The unbelievers remembered that. Now notice, remember, the disciples were close by and they heard this same thing. But they were off thinking everything was lost. The unbelievers saying, hey, we remember him saying this. We need to take note of this. So we go back to Matthew 27. And it says, not only do they remember Jesus's prediction, they showed some fear. It says, uh, we remember while he was still alive that this guy said that after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the three day, the third day, and lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, uh, he has risen from the dead so that the last deception will be worse than the first. So first of all, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, number one, they were not fearful of the enemies of Jesus stealing the body. But they were fearful that the disciples might try to steal the body. Okay? Now we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But they were, they were thinking, okay, the friends of Jesus – know the same truth or the same prediction that we know so they're going to try to deceive the people and steal the body and say he was raised from the dead all right that's what they were fearful of and they they knew the influence uh and the impact in people's lives that jesus had while he was doing his public ministry and they were they, the enemies of jesus were saying the unbelievers said the last deception be worse than the first. They were thinking, okay, he's already deceived the people this way. It's going to be worse if they say, claim that he rose from the dead, all right? So they were thinking the disciples might steal the body. Well, number, one of the things wrong with that, they were the disciples were fearful. They were afraid. They were hiding. They were afraid that they were going to uh, be uh confronted with the same uh abuse and death that their rabbi was they were hiding they didn't want to uh you know peter had already denied jesus three times and look i i I don't even know this guy he was afraid uh that he might be uh, strung up with him so uh they were afraid that jesus, uh, the disciples would steal the body they were, but here's the 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 biggest thing I think they were afraid of. They were afraid of Jesus's power. How do I know that? Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. They were afraid of Jesus's power. Remember that throughout the public ministry of the Lord Jesus, and we've looked at this as we've studied the harmony of the gospels, Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He made the blind to see. He even gave sight to one who was born blind. It wasn't wasn't that he restored sight to someone that went blind. He gave sight to one that never had had sight. So we find that Jesus' power, they were aware of that. They knew of the lepers that were healed of leprosy, uh, a, a, a disease that was a death sentence passed on whomever leprosy came upon. It was just a slow, agonizing death for the uh, person that was a leper. Uh, they knew of his healing of the sick and the afflicted, the, the paralyzed man that could not walk. They He raised him to where immediately he, strength came in his legs, and he went off rejoicing and praising God. Also, they knew of the events of, of miracles that he performed on the dead. He knew of the they knew of the young girl at age 12 that Jairus's daughter he brought back to life. They knew of the man, that young man that they were taking to the cemetery in a coffin, and he stopped the cemetery possession or the, the funeral possession and raised that young man to life in the coffin. He sat up and talked, even though, even more significantly, John chapter 11, Lazarus. Who had been in the tomb four days, he called Lazarus back to life, and Lazarus came forth. Look, listen, to uh, read with me in uh, uh, John chapter 11 and verse 46 and following. It says, uh, whenever that took place, Lazarus came out of the tomb, and he had he instructed Jesus instructed him to loose him from his grave clothes, and some of them believed in Jesus then but then in verse 46 but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did so they knew the power of Jesus they recognized that they'd heard they may not have seen Lazarus rise from the dead but they they gave witnesses came and told them what happened verse 47 then the chief priests and Pharisees noticed that wording chief priests and Pharisees that's what we read in Matthew 27, it was the chief priests and Pharisees that came to Pilate and said, hey, we remember. So it says the same groups had gathered council together and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. They recognize his power. If we let him alone like this, <clears throat> everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they were fearful of him. Um, and then... And look with me in John 12. So they were aware of this. So they were already beginning to plot to get rid of Jesus. But now they included Lazarus because he was a thorn in their flesh. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there. and They came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So Lazarus was a problem to them. Uh, they knew that he attested to the power of Jesus. So they wanted to get rid of that, of him, uh, so they could silence that that, that belief of people that uh, Jesus could do this. So they, they were fearful of Jesus' power. Now, the resurrection of Jesus, they knew the resurrection of Jesus would validate his claims to be the Messiah. They recognized that. Said, look, if he does all this during his public ministry, and now he predicts his own resurrection, if he were to rise again, that would validate that he is the Messiah, and that means that he would prove us wrong because they, they uh, bickered back and forth. They tried to make the populace believe that Jesus was not the Messiah. They accused him of being a, a drunkard, a, a, a friend of sinners, uh, 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 going by the power of Beelzebub, working through the power of Satan to do his miracles. So they were trying to discredit him all throughout his public ministry. But if he rose again, That would discredit them because they were, quote, unquote, the teachers of the people, the teachers of the Old Testament law and the prophets. And if they were teaching wrong, then, hey, they lose face big time. So the memory of the unbelievers registered with them and they said move them to action to try to oppose the resurrection of Jesus. So let's go back to Matthew 27. In verse 62, again. So the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together uh, to Pilate and saying, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise. Therefore, they began to plan. They had a plan. They presented this to Pilate. Pilate was the governor, the Roman governor. He was the one that uh, uh, condemned Jesus to die on the cross, okay? He is the one also that examined Jesus and four times said, I find no fault in this man, but yet had him crucified anyway just to appease the religious leaders of that day and tried to keep peace among the populace of Jerusalem. So notice if you would, it said, therefore command the tomb be made secure until the third day lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, and say to the people, he is risen from the dead, so that the last deception be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went, made the tomb secure, sealing the stone, and setting the guard. So let's look at the plan just for a few minutes. First of all, we need to see that they broke the Sabbath. I think that is so important. I don't think that we ever, I I don't think I've ever heard this passage taught in all my days in church. Uh, I've always, it always went from the crucifixion to the resurrection. None of this in between was talked about. But it is significant to me that the chief priest and the Pharisees broke the Sabbath because it says verse 62 on the next day, which followed the day of preparation. That's the Sabbath. The day of preparation was the day that Jesus died, the Friday before the Saturday, the Sabbath was holy in their eyes. And this is the chief priest and the Pharisees, those that were uh, given to uh, adhere to the law uh, very closely. In fact, they were the, Law police, if you would, the religious police. If you broke the Sabbath, they were going to call you on it. In fact, we're going to look at some things uh, in cases that they accused Jesus of doing the very thing that they did. Okay, very hypocritical. Jesus accused them of being hypocrites. They show their face, they play their cards here to me. So those that accused and reprimanded Jesus for breaking the Sabbath themselves broke the sabbath trying to keep people jesus from resurrecting i think that is ironic but look at with if you would matthew 12 just one in each gospel i'm going to give us one event in each gospel There's there's more of these but i want you to see so you can understand where i'm coming from on this the significance of this matthew 12 verses 1 and 2 at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Now, they were trying to satisfy their hunger. That's all they were doing. They weren't trying to uh, harvest a crop. They were just trying to satisfy their hunger. And when the Jew- Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, uh, jump down to verse 9, says, and when he had departed from there, he went to their synagogue. This is talking about Jesus. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. They did, they're trying to set him up. Uh, Is it okay for you to heal somebody on the Sabbath? They were wanting to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. So they had no compassion for the man that was in in, in afflicted they were just trying to uh, attack jesus in verse 11 then he said to them what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls in into a pit on the sabbath will you not lay hold of it and lift it out how much more value then is a man than a sheep therefore it is lawful to do good on the sabbath And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and restored as old as the other. Verse 14, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So you see the importance that they placed on the Sabbath uh, against Jesus. They wanted to kill him then because of breaking the Sabbath and plus making them look bad. Okay, They valued a sheep more than they did a man, an animal over a man. And Jesus called them on it, and they didn't like that. So look with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 3, another instance. Mark chapter 3. In the first six verses there, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Mark 3, 1 through 6. And he entered the synagogue, and this is Jesus again. And a man was there with a withered hand. Well, this is basically the same thing that we read in, in Matthew. But look with me, if you would, in verse uh, five. Uh, then when Jesus had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, Jesus knew the hardness of their heart because they, didn't, they weren't concerned about the man's need. They were just trying to attack Jesus. And it says in verse six again, after the guy was healed, the Pharisees went out immediately Plotted with the Herodians, they began to enlist help to plot against Jesus how they might destroy him. So they put a lot of importance on the Sabbath. Look with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 and following. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Now, Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Again, the significance that we're looking at these passages is the Sabbath, the importance and the significance of that. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years been over and couldn't in no way raise herself up. Jesus saw her, called her to him and said, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her. Immediately she was made straight. And glorified God. Now, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. Isn't that stupid? (laughs) Hey, Monday through Sunday through Friday, you come and get healed, but on the Lord's day, none of that's going to take place that' isn't that wrong? That, that's a, a wrong picture to paint. But he was indignant about it, and he was chastising the people for doing that. And then he goes on to say, verse 15, And the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite. <laughs> uh, by the way, Jesus wasn't a sissy. Regardless of how society tries to paint him as infeminate and sissy and weak, Hey, he was very much a man. He was bold. Hypocrite. This is the ruler of the synagogue he's talking to. Does not each one of you again have on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and leaded way to water it? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound? He recognized that Satan had bound this woman, bent her over in, in the chains of sin or whatever it was. He recognized that was Satan's work. He said. What better day basically than the Lord's day to loose her from that? She'd been bound eighteen years. Let's loose her from Satan's grasp. So but that was done on the Sabbath, and people became irate because of his work on the Sabbath. One other passage in John chapter five John chapter five. I'm not going to read all these verses, but it's the first 16 verses of John chapter five. And this is, I'm going to just talk about this a little bit. This was whenever Jesus came to the pool of Siloam and he there around the pool of Siloam, there was a multitude of people with infirmities, sicknesses and problems and uh, can't walk. They're sick, whatever their infirmities were, they were gathered around the pool of Siloam and the, in the, um, uh, the consensus of the day was that there would be an angel somehow come to the pool and stir the waters. And the first person that gets in the water, they'd be healed or whatever was wrong with them. So all these people were gathered around the pool, watching the water, seeing when it was going to be stirred up so they could quickly be the first one in and be healed. Well, the Bible says that Jesus saw the, all this group of people, but only went to one person, uh, one guy that was, uh, lame that he was paralyzed there he, he wasn't able to really move he asked do you want to be healed well the guy said well yeah I want to be healed I'm here for the purpose of getting into the water but by the time I get there someone's already beat me to it he said well uh, in fact Jesus healed him and uh, told him to get up take up your bed and walk and the one verse 13 the one who was Heal did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Huh? You mean Jesus can, will heal unbelievers? Jesus will heal unsaved people. Hmm. How about that? that will make you go. Hmm. But anyway, that's another lesson altogether. But we find that he took up his bed and he began to walk and, and the Bible says that, that uh, uh, as he did, the Pharisees challenged him about doing that. And he told them that, look, the guy that healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. He healed me. I'm going to do what he says. Well, they didn't like that. Uh, he was healed on the Sabbath. And it says in, in uh, verse uh, uh, 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, uh, go see that you have been made well, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Apparently, whatever sin it was uh, resulted in the consequences of his illness and uh, in, incapacitated him. And Jesus said, don't do it again. You know, something worse going to happen if you do. Uh, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Because he had done those things on the Sabbath. Now, all that attack because of what Jesus doing good on the Sabbath, now they are coming and breaking their own law, coming to Pilate on the Sabbath. How did that break the law? Number one, they they started conducting business on the sabbath. They're not supposed to conduct business on the sabbath. What business? They were consulting with the Roman governor, Pilate, to try to do something. Number 2, he said, "Okay, you go and secure the tomb." So they had to leave Pilate and go to the tomb where Jesus was buried and begin to take action and do something uh, in order to try to secure the tomb. So they enlisted the help from Pilate. They secured the tomb for three days. Notice that, that's significant. He said, they said in Matthew 27, said, uh, uh, make the tomb secure until the third day. Well, that was the sign of the prophet Jonah. Didn't matter the fourth day, they just wanted secure for the third day because if he rose again, quote unquote, the third day, then he would have validated his prediction and his prophecy of his resurrection and that, again, would cause them more problems than it would. But if something happened the fourth day and the disciples came and say, look, the fourth day he rose again, well, they could, they could dismiss that because, hey, he said third day. If it's the fourth day, fifth day, that didn't count. So they wanted a significant time frame. I think that is good. So they secured the tomb for three days, uh, verse 66. It tells us they the way they did this, they set a guard. Now, this pilot, I believe, and the commentators that I read after kind of divided about this. Some think it was temple guards. Some think it was Roman guards. First of all, I don't think it was a temple guard because they would not have to have pilot's permission just for the temple guards to go and secure the tomb. They were in control of the temple guards. They went to Pilate for trained soldiers, Roman soldiers, a guard, to sit in front of the tomb to ensure no one stole the body, that that body was stayed in the tomb. They wanted trained Roman soldiers to do so. Now, the commentators are also divided on this. Some say it was four soldiers. Some say it could have been up to 16 soldiers. Either way, these were armed Roman soldiers used to battle, used to confrontation. They knew how to fight. They knew how to handle themselves. And a Roman soldier, uh, we need to understand that when they set a guard, uh, this act made it virtually impossible for anyone, friend or foe, to steal the body. Because the Roman soldiers, when they got a command to guard something, hey, you weren't getting past them unless they died. They would give them their life to fulfill their duty. Uh, they don't, they didn't take it lightly. They were, they were sold out 100%. They were gonna be there. They were gonna uh, guard. Why? Because in the Roman uh, culture of that day, negligence of duty equaled execution. If the Roman soldiers would have failed in their job, to guard that tomb, if they were to, we're gonna get into this in just a moment, but if if they failed, it was their life. They were gonna pay with their life. So they're either gonna pay with their life to defend that tomb, or they were gonna pay with their life allowing something to take place that they could, uh, could have controlled. So negligence of duty would have resulted in their execution. So, Here's the obstacles that are in the way of the resurrection, according to uh, David Guzik. Uh, gave this, and I liked it. So, first of all, uh, he's, the Bible says in verse 66 that they 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 made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. They set the guard. There was Roman guards there at the tomb, and they sealed the stone. Now if you remember when we look back that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they placed the body of Jesus in the tomb and they rolled a large stone in front of the entrance. Uh, number one, the, the, what I read the stone was, uh, inserted in uh, like a, a little ditch and they would allow the stone to roll on an incline that caused the stone to, to be secure on the entrance of the tomb. It wasn't an easy thing to roll that stone back. It would take a, a several strong men uh, a lot of effort to roll that stone backwards and open that tomb. So they had the stone there, but it says they sealed the stone. What does that mean? Well, from what I understand, the custom of that day, they would the, they would take a a rope or a cord and they would wrap it around the stone but here's the thing that seal had the Roman authority behind it the Roman empires that was like you mess with this you're messing with the Roman Empire and you're you're gonna have to face the consequences if you do that so we find uh, the obstacle first of all was a stone that was a material obstacle uh, heavy stone it was an obstacle for the to prevent the resurrection. Uh, Jesus, in his physical state when he died, if he were just had passed out and came back and revived in the in the tomb, he would have not been physically able to move that stone anyway. But it, it, the way the tomb entrance was designed, he could not have done it from the inside anyway. He had to be from the outside to move that stone back. So we find that uh, the stone was a material obstacle. Then the seal was a human authority obstacle, the Roman government. You mess with it, you mess with Rome, uh, the emperor, and uh, you face dire consequences. And then the guard, which is human strength, uh, you face that obstacle. So you had to go past the hum- the, the Roman guard, you had to break the seal, of uh, oppose the Roman authority, you had to move a large heavy stone away from the entrance in order to for the body to be taken. So there was there's some things that stood in the way of that. I was going to say,
1: it must be like Daniel. In Daniel 6, it he says the king gave an order and brought anyone to into the lion's hands. says, Daniel may your God and serve, continue to rescue you? Then it says uh, the stone was sealed with the king's sealing right. the and then the nobles around him." Right right yeah
0: chris chris uh, made the correlation between daniel and the lion's den and daniel it says that when he was thrown in the lion's den stone was rolled on the entrance of the den and sealed with the king's ring and so kind of a significance there so uh we find that uh, that the chief priests and pharisees did all they knew to do to oppose and to prevent the resurrection now verses 11 through 15 in mark uh, matthew 28 we see the deception of the unbelievers we see the memory of the unbelievers the plan of the unbelievers now the deception of the unbelievers matthew 28 verses 11 through 15 for sake of time i'm not going to reread those verses but we'll go through them first of all we see the soldier's failure of duty um which is interesting the bible says if you want to look and we're going to go into this probably more in detail next week on the resurrection but look at chapter 28 verses 4 and and, and 5 uh, 2 through 4 2 through 4 and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on so he, he took care of the Roman seal and the big stone, and one one white, the angel did. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And I like verse 4 and the guard shook for fear of him and became as dead men. They passed out cold. You know, Roman, hardened Roman soldiers. This angel came and rolled that stone back effortlessly, uh, challenged the authority of Rome looked at these guys these roman soldiers whether it be four or 16 and the bible says they became like dead men so they failed in their duty these soldiers now in verse 12 of matthew 28 we find that they some of them uh came note if you would they went to the city and reported to the chief priest all that happened they didn't go to Pilate, the roman government They didn't go to their centurion. They didn't go to the Roman authority and say, hey, look, here's what happened, took place. They went to the chief priest. They knew the chief priest had set all this up. They were seeking their help, I believe. But the Bible says that they went and reported to this, to the chief priest, uh, Jesus was gone. The body's gone. The angel, there's an angel, rolled a stone, took the body or whatever they told him. Verse 12 says, they assembled with the elders and consulted together, and the elders gave them large sum of money to the soldiers. They bribed the soldiers. Now, I think that's interesting in that the Roman soldiers faced execution because they failed to keep and contain the body of Jesus in the tomb. They knew they were going to die. If uh, Pilate or the centurion got word of all this, they were going to die. They took money. They said, okay, we're going to just take some money. We're going to, we're going to do this. So they bribed the soldiers, and they, they asked them to lie. They asked the soldiers to lie, and the soldiers did lie. In verse 13, it says, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Now, <laughs> that's a funny lie. You know, here was trained Roman soldiers. Telling that, uh, first of all, they, they would admit that they slept on the job, which was also a uh, death sentence. If you caught sleeping on the job, those of you that were in the military, you know that there's consequences. If you sleep on, uh, in, in your duty post, you fall asleep, you're caught sleeping, there's, there's consequences of that. Well, these Roman soldiers faced consequences of that as well. Number two, not only did they tell the lie that they slept, but that the disciples were able to roll this big, huge stone away from the entrance of the tomb without waking them up. Now that's, that's ironic. Uh, so uh, they were told to, to lie about that. And then in verse uh, uh, 14 and 15, the unbelievers tried to deceive them. say look look we'll protect you if all this comes to ears of the pilot of pilot the governor or your centurion and you face consequences, we'll take care of it we're gonna we're gonna talk to them and say look you'll be safe Um, so they took the money and did as they instructed and it was at the time of the writing of Matthew that that deception was still going on around that that uh, people were believing and hearing Hey, the disciples stole the body. Well we're going to talk more about how that was not be feasible and how it was be uh, easily determined if that happened later. Uh, but we know that Jesus arose, and we're going to talk about that next week. Jesus was resurrected and the body, he physically, bodily came out of the tomb, alive, eternal, never to die again. So, No matter the opposition, Jesus Christ arose from the dead never to die again. And his resurrection is what validates his messiahship, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, that he's declared to be the Son of God uh, by the power of his resurrection. Had he not rose again, he would have just been another person that died on the cross. But his resurrection proves that he was the Messiah, is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and has the power to save us. Miss Donna, you know, to bring this up
1: to date, have you read the the book by Lee Strobel
0: on the case for Christ? Yes. Yes. A lot of lot of books have been written of people that have opposed Jesus and went. He was
1: went, an atheist. Yes, a but lot he of them said there was more
0: proof yes
1: of, of all these scriptures right. you just taught yes, us ma'am. there's more proof of this than some of those exactly. famous Roman uh, Caesar Augustus.
0: Right. We have historians that, that give a test to this fact. And uh, I like what Frank Turk I know you listen to Frank Turk a lot. He says I have I don't have enough faith to be an atheist.
1: Yeah, it takes more he, faith to
0: be an atheist than it does to be a believer. His
1: wife became a Christian, and um, right, I, he was either a lawyer. He uh, was a journalist. A writer.
0: He was a journalist.
1: Journalist. We're
0: talking <laughs> about Lee Strobel now.
1: Lee yeah. Strobel.
0: He was. He, he set was, out to disprove he, his, his wife's wife. belief. Yeah. Yes. And, and
1: the first things, uh, I mean, it just excites your heart. Yes, ma'am. To. Uh, To think that he started studying, and there now he's just a guiding Christian,
0: just like right anybody that honestly seeks the truth will come to be a believer in Christ. Yes, yes, you know those that just have want to be dishonest and deception, like these guys. Yeah, you know they'll they'll discount just about anything. But honestly seeking the truth, people will find uh, Jesus Christ, and that's why it's important. Sometimes, if you can, just have people, encourage people to read the Word of God. Read the Bible.
1: But, Honestly
0: but, seeking. And,
1: and I have done that, but then you'll have an argument all oh, that was written.
0: Yeah, well, Hundreds again, ye- honest seekers. Least
1: struggle of uh, uh, something real up to date. Yes, ma'am. If you're a doubter now.
0: Right. The, the Case people. for Christ is a powerful, powerful book.
1: That's right.
0: Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, next week, Lord willing, we're going to open up the tomb and see what happens. Jesus comes alive, okay? We we'll, might even break out in song next week, I know tell. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the word of God, giving us these accounts of scripture, truths that we might learn from it. Help us, Lord, to uh, apply these truths to our life. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. We look forward to seeing the, is being unfolded next week in Jesus name. Amen. All right.